Sholem Alechem from the Yiddish Book Center. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I am in the studio with Tori Avey. Tori Avey is the Shiksa in the Kitchen, a food blog about Jewish cuisine. A convert to Judaism, Tori is a culinary anthropologist who explores the story behind food. Her fan page is one of the fastest growing food communities on Facebook. She's a frequent contributor to food websites, television news shows, and has recently been named the 2012 IACP People's Choice Award winner for Best Culinary Website. She does a marvelous job, and we're thrilled to have her. Welcome, Tori. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Well, we're delighted. Um, So to begin with, Tell me, how did you find your way into the kitchen? Oh, that's, well, that's a great question. Um, I started cooking when I was pretty young. I, I took an interest in healthy cooking in particular, and um, my family growing up was very, was very health conscious. We didn't eat a lot of red meat, and um, I, came, I come from an agricultural family, so uh, a lot of farmers in my, in my background. And um, so I started cooking from some kind of healthy cookbooks when I was younger, making things like broccoli soup and vegetarian dishes. And it was a hobby, but I never really um, took it seriously as something I might do forever. You know, it was, it was sort of like a stress reliever for me. It was something fun. College, I had a, uh, a Tory Cooks night where all of my, my friends would come over once a month and I'd cook for them. So that's kind of how I got started. So it's something that you've always enjoyed. And I wondered, when you converted to Judaism, did it change or did it inform your cooking in a new way? Well, big time. <laughs> um, actually, even before I converted, I, um, I, I started getting into Judaism in college. I started studying Jewish religion, and I felt very connected to it early on. Um, there was something about it that really connected with me on a deep level. And um, I took a course on the Holocaust, and that really changed my perspective on pretty much everything in my life. And so I started reading a lot of um, Jewish spirituality books, and um, I kind of started my journey into Judaism in college. And then as I went along, um, I started learning more about the traditional Jewish foods, which were nothing like what I grew up with, Mm -hmm. particularly the Middle Eastern Sephardic-type foods. Those were so new to me, and I loved them. They're, it's just the spices and the flavors. They really, really inspired me. So um, I actually started my blog to, you know, as an exploration of these types of foods that were new to me. And coming from the perspective of somebody who was new to all of this, it was, it was kind of a fun thing, I think. So um, I started it about three years ago, and it was wildly popular. It just grew so quickly. So um, it's really turned into an exploration of, you know, all kinds of food, Jewish food. It's all kosher on the Shiksa in the Kitchen. I also have another website called The History Kitchen, which is a sister website to the Shiksa in the Kitchen. And basically what I do is explore the story behind the food because it really fascinates me to learn where these foods come from, the cultures they developed within. Um, That's all very fascinating to me. I know there's a section called Kitchen Memories, and I yeah. noticed that you have great recipes in there um, from a really astounding number of cooks, um, some large uh, stars in the culinary world and then everyday family cooks. And I'm wondering, how do you find your sources, and how do you get people to share their stories and their recipes? Well, the funny thing about food is it's such a, um, an emotional thing for people. It really is. And the foods that people grew up with and the foods within families are something that we all have a connection to. I mean, you can pretty much ask anybody, what was your favorite food growing up? And they'll get a look on their face and when they remember what it tasted like and they'll get excited to tell you about it because it's something that is very um, 
close to the heart, you know. So when I've um, done interviews with families, and um, I've had some really incredible interviews, actually. I mean, I've, I've been lucky this year to interview. I interviewed Claudia Rodin and Joe Nathan and Gil Marks, some of the really, mm-hmm. you know, big stars in the Jewish culinary world. But some of my favorite interviews have been with people who nobody knows that I just happened to run into or, I, you know, a friend of a friend introduced me and said, you should meet this person. Um, a Holocaust survivor named Michael is one that comes to mind. He is an incredible man. Um, he lives not far from me. And my friend works at the retirement center where he lives. And she had told me he was a chef at Jerry's Deli and maybe I want to meet him. So I said, sure, that sounds fun. So I went and I spent a few hours with him, and lo and behold, he told me his story, and he was a survivor of Auschwitz. And so he had a really incredible story, and um, he's actually a really fantastic cook, and he shared with me a recipe for tiramisu. But when I was sitting there talking with him, and this story kind of came out of him of what he had been through at Auschwitz, it really was pretty incredible to me and I said you know how come I didn't know this how come people don't know this about you because really nobody in this community knew that he had been through this and he said because nobody ever asked me my story Mm. and that just gave me shivers when I heard that and I just um so I feel like it's really important to do this kind of work to to explore families food stories explore um where different families have brought their dishes from and where their ancestors came from and, you know, the things they eat today, what are the roots of those foods, you know? Absolutely. I mean, I think it does take us back into our childhood. And it's fascinating when you begin to explore what the differences are in the way we prepare different foods, which maybe actually will segue into one of my questions for you, mm-hmm. which is, um, as Hanukkah is approaching, um, I thought that I might be able to ask you about the latke, which is obviously a staple of Hanukkah. And again, for each of us, I think um, everybody prepares them slightly differently at home. Um, and everybody learns, either from a grandmother or a grandfather, or, yeah aunt, uncle. Um, so I guess to begin with, uh, who taught you how to make lockies? <laughs> it's funny. Everybody has the right way too, right? <laughs> well, we're going to get to that. <laughs> um, I pretty much, you know, my, my husband's family kind of taught me a lot of what I learned in the beginning. So probably the first time I made them was with his family. But, you know, I'm very, I'm a very adventurous cook, so I like to take recipes from all different kinds of books. I have a lot of vintage cookbooks, actually, and things that have been out of print forever. So when I want to make something really traditional, um, like a latke, I look in, you know, I have, like, the Molly Goldberg Jewish cookbook. Mm-hmm. I have these really old Jewish cookbooks that really they are hard to find now and um, out of print, and I go and I try those because I find the further back you go, the less complicated the recipe is, the more, you know, down to the basics it is. And then once you know how to make something really the basic traditional way it's meant to be made, then you can start making improvements. For instance, this year, um, rather than using matzo meal in the latke, I used panko breadcrumbs, which are Japanese breadcrumbs. They're very light and airy, and um, I used those as the the kind of the thing to bind them, and Mm -hmm. it was so wonderful. I mean, it turned out the best latkes I've ever made. So, but I I already I already knew how to make those traditional. So it's fun to learn you know the basics and then kind of explore how we can how we can make them a little different maybe. Well, yeah, the evolution of food and how we uh, bring it into a more modern situation is always fun. And I noticed that you recommended grapeseed 
Boy, I do. Uh, yeah. Big time. <laughs> yeah, I really love grapeseed oil for frying. I think it um, it has the highest smoke point, I think, um, that and peanut oil. But I really like grapeseed because it's. I think it's no cholesterol. It's, it's a very healthy oil. It's much lighter. And I noticed that things just seem to fry up a bit crisper in it um, and not quite as oily if you have it at the right temperature. So... I really, really recommend grapeseed oil. I love it. And you do also suggest that if you add a few tablespoons of schmaltz, you know, that doesn't hurt. Um, oh, and I, it I, helps. <laughs> does it help the taste, the texture? I, um, I, I think it does. I mean, I, I don't know about the texture, but it definitely improves the flavor. I don't like to use just straight schmaltz to fry my latkes. I mean, I've done it before, and mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, it is delicious, but... Wow, it's heavy. So, yeah. so I like to add just maybe a few tablespoons to the oil, the cooking oil, um, just to give it a little bit of that flavor and aroma. Because really, it's it's a wonderful flavor, and it's you know when you introduce it to somebody who's not familiar with Jewish food, they say, "What is this?" <laughs> you know, it's a wonderful thing that's really kind of underutilized in the culinary world. Um, and recently, I've dropped onions for my latkes, and I don't know if this is a good thing, if it's a modern adaptation. Um, mm-hmm. Have you uncovered variations, or, you know, is there a Sephardic and Ashkenazi difference? I think every family just has their own different version, you know, and I don't think there's anything wrong with dropping onion from the latkes. Mm-hmm. I, I don't do it because I like the flavor it imparts, but um, I have been known to, rather than, you know, grating the onion because it makes me cry like crazy, <laughs> so rather than grating it, um, I've been known to put chives um, chopped up chives or little, um, you know, uh, like scallions, just trying different, you know, things within the latka. And it's all good. It's all, it, there's no judgment here. Oh. <laughs> Every latka is a good latka. <laughs> as, lo- as long as it's crispy and yummy, I'm happy. <laughs> and do you recommend a Yukon or the uh, all-purpose white potato? You know, russets have a lot of starch in them, which is good for helping them to hold together. Um, the reason I like Yukon Gold is that they um, don't tend to turn as gray as quickly. Although if you're grating, the, putting the shreds into the water, which is what I usually do, it really doesn't matter too much. Um, either one is pretty good. <laughs> they both work good. <laughs> they both work well. <laughs> and is there a trick for creating the perfect latke? A trick, one trick. Mm-hmm. There are, I, I would say there's more than one trick. Um, I think your oil needs to be at the proper temperature. I think a lot of people either are frying them at too low a temperature, which makes them greasy, or at too high a temperature, which, you know, browns them too quickly and they don't get cooked and fluffy all the way through. So I would say oil temperature is a big one. Um, I like to drain my latkes on a rack rather than putting them on paper towels, or some people like to put them on paper bags to drain them. I use a rack because it allows any excess oil to drip off of them and really helps to keep them crisp. Mm-hmm. Um, let me think what else. Uh, well, in terms of reheating latkes, I've got a tip about that. That was actually taught to me by my friend Denise Vivaldo, who's a food stylist, and she used to be um, she used to cater the Oscar awards, and she had made latkes for you know thousands of latkes for an event one time, and she found that the best way to reheat them is to use a convection oven rather than a regular oven because the convection um, circulates heat, right. very, very dry heat, so it really helps to keep them crisp. Because um, sometimes, you know, you want to serve a latka fresh from the frying pan if you can, but that's not always practical, especially when you're making for a very large group. So, you know, making it in, putting it into the convection oven to reheat it really allows it to stay crispy. These are all very helpful hints and um, certainly make one hungry. Um, <laughs> and then there's the big question, applesauce or sour cream? 
Oh boy, I like both. I don't think I could decide. I mean, if you if you made me decide, if I had to, probably sour cream. I love sour cream. <laughs> oh, it's so good. But um, they're both like a combination of both. I've even been known to put a little smoked salmon on top of my latke. <laughs> I get creative. What could be bad but that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, well, it's fun to make my way through your website. Um, uh, as a foodie, I'm interested in all of it. Um, I'll certainly go back and look at your recipe. If we could post it online, would that be okay with you? Of course. Okay. That would be great. Um, and I'll find my way back. You had some really great products, which I, I would urge people to look for, um, on your blog. The Royal Hollis silicone baking pan caught my attention, and I just... Oh, yes, that's, a, that's an interesting one. There are mixed feelings about this one out there. <laughs> Some people think it's cheating, but, you know, the main reason I put it into the market, it was actually invented by two Orthodox Jewish women, and um, the main reason I put it in there is that I have a lot of gluten-free readers on my website, uh-huh. and, and when you try to braid gluten-free challah dough, it's next to impossible. It's not as flexible. It doesn't have the gluten in it um, to make it flexible. And so it's really difficult to braid gluten-free challah. So this makes it really good. You know, it's, you just put the dough into the pan, and it shapes it like a challah. And so people can enjoy challah, even if they're gluten-free. Or if they have arthritis, maybe they have arthritis in their hands or carpal tunnel, and the kneading has become difficult. This is a great, you know, solution for people to have a beautiful challah on their table without the need to braid it. So They're great products. I love what you have to say um, on the site. And it's been really fun to have a chance to visit with you today. I hope that we can visit with you again. Maybe next time I can be in the kitchen with you, which would be even better. Oh, I would love that. Anytime you're welcome. (laughs) Okay, and or come here and visit us in our big catering kitchen. Absolutely. I'd love to. Um, So for our listeners, they can find recipes, stories, gifts, and more on Tori's website. Theshiksa.com, and I also have another site, thehistorykitchen.com. So either one, they're kind of linked up together, so you can visit either one. Great. Well, thank you again. It was a pleasure speaking with you, and thanks for the inspiration. Thank you so much. Nice to talk with you. You've been listening to a podcast from the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. For additional interviews and conversations, please visit yiddishbookcenter.org slash audio or visit us at iTunes. Our producer is Agnieszka Ilvitska. I'm Lisa Newman. Be strong, be well, and tune in again soon.